That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are, Jake, getting ready to jump into the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, but known more widely as Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. But you and I, as, as uh, what, yeah, what do you call it? Uh, my favorite snacks and commercial Sunday. So um, I could care less about any of the teams, unless it's the Jets, but they definitely didn't make it. They they are horrible. That is a Nazareth experience every Sunday watching the Jets play football. But um, Well, that, that is a prophetic word there from Jake, since we are recording this long before we know who will be playing in the Super Bowl. So, well, I can tell uh, you right now the Jets aren't there, so... <laughs> so you're not like Biff Tannen. You went into the into the future to get a sports uh, book. No, I mean as of right now, like our record, we can't even qualify for the playoffs. But uh, anyway, but I do love chicken wings and I love potato skins, and uh, I really feel like Super Bowl Sunday gives a real <laughs> opportunity to indulge in um, in things that you um, well that I regularly eat, but that most people would normally not eat, and so. That's right. That's right. Just embrace it. Do it for America. That's but right. uh, for for you preachers out there, just note because there, I feel like there are many people in ministry, Jake, that uh, are not sports people. I mean, there are definitely mm-hmm. some that are, but mm-hmm. there's a lot who you know would rather be curling up with Tom Merton and a cup of tea uh, and and their cats mm. than watch uh, sports ball. So if that's you, folks, who weren't even aware that it was happening, just keep your sermons on the shorter side this Sunday because people got to get home and make those potato skins and uh, and uh, tear the little plastic film off of the seven layer dip. Do you remember in seminary, uh, Aaron, living in Pittsburgh and how people would actually show up to church in their Pittsburgh Steeler jerseys? I thought that, I, oh, that was yes, amazing. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's an amazing only, part of Pittsburgh. Not only the lay people. I know many, many <laughs> clergy in Pittsburgh with Steelers-oriented stoles. Uh, I don't know if that violates any canons, but it certainly uh, was hard on the eyes for those non-Steelers uh, fans. Well, I think this brings us, like, it's an amazing um, intro into our Old Testament reading, because so often, um, you know, uh, during uh, Super Bowls or big sporting events, you know, uh, there's a lot of prayer around there. Just recently, um, you know, we're filming in the past, going into the future, but I was talking to a friend who's a huge Auburn uh, fan, and uh, after the uh, Auburn-Alabama blowout, he was listening to the post-game interview, and uh, the quarterback was talking about how the Alabama quarterback was talking about how they really prayed and they listened to gospel music right before um, the game, and that this had helped anoint them to prepare them to dis- defeat Auburn. And uh, one of the quotes that he said was, uh, you know, basically, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And this is our reading from Jeremiah, the Old Testament, and how this passage oftentimes gets sentimentalized and misses the point completely. Yeah, you, as a preacher, you got to be the ref and throw the flag on any attempts to uh, to uh, to make this passage kind of about you. And um, we we love to um, 
to take scripture verses and cherry pick them and turn them into bumper stickers or um, wall art. Mm-hmm. And this this would be one of the passages. But what's funny is uh, they would put before I formed you in the womb and knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you. They would put that, but they would forget <laughs> the, the last sentence, it. which yeah. is the whole point. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's right. uh, this is a, this is a word specifically for Jeremiah. And it is not about you. There are parts of Scripture that are definitely addressed to lots of people, and you included, but this is not one of them. This is a prophetic uh, appointment for Jeremiah to do a job, Mm. to be a prophet to the nations. Uh, And if you want to preach on this, uh, I think one of the things that you can mention, uh, a wonderful theme here, which is true for all the prophets that God calls, actually. The same for, this happens with uh, Moses, this happens... um, uh, throughout when God calls people say you know who me uh, and uh, so there's a, an emphasis not on strength but on weakness and there's so much in the Christian culture out there sort of you know whom shall I send and people are like send me Lord yeah. Woo! Yeah. I'm the best God's lucky to have me on his team and Jeremiah's response is opposite he says no I don't know how to do this yeah Chad Burden his uh, book your God is too glorious he makes that point. He says, oftentimes when we think about God and our calling, we think that we are the guy. You know, we yeah. are the one. And, um, and, uh, and of course, God has got all of these marvelous plans for me. And uh, isn't this wonderful? It reminds me of this wood cutout I once saw of uh, Christians going into the arena to be fed to lions. And down <laughs> below it said, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And um, that's right. This, you know, the, the call, uh, uh, the prophetic call is oftentimes one that uh, leads to harm's way. Um, because yeah. it is at enmity with, and odds with the world. And uh, and so, indeed, this is speaking about uh, Jeremiah. This finds its fulfillment in Jesus, and uh, it moves forward in uh, the vocation and the calling of the church, uh, God's new bride and uh, God's new Israel, as it moves forward. And, uh, and the words that he has put in our mouth, I really love how it is down there, um, uh, points you over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And in that, you have the description of God's two words, law and gospel, and uh, the job of every preacher to tear down that which thinks it is haughty and uh, um, strong on its own, and to build up that which is weak and has been broken by the world. That's exactly right. And I think um, if you can help this connect to people in your congregation, many of whom feel like they're bad Christians, Mm -hmm. many of whom feel like they're not getting it done, uh, just to point out that the fact that God chooses someone who feels unqualified, and it's because um, we don't have to minister out of our own strength or resources um, we just give the message that we've all been given, uh, mm. the, the word of the law, um, which is be perfect. And all of us say, well, that's not working out for me, so I need some help. It's the message of God's grace. And that's all we're called to communicate. That's right. And, uh, you know, and that is um, what it is to really, as uh, St. Paul talks about, um, uh, to speak uh, in the words of love and uh, to speak the words of love. Uh, they come to us in these two forms, and, uh, and this is really what our uh, epistle reading is all about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, 1 through, 3, uh, 1 through 13. And, you know, it's really important um, because so often I think the letter to the Corinthians has been used to do the very thing that Paul is preaching against. It's been used to divide people in the church, this concept of, well, you know, I really pray in tongues, and uh, I'm somehow set apart and more important. There were different organizations that have done this in the church throughout time, 
And, uh, and what Paul is saying is, is that all of that is nonsense without uh, the main thing, which is love. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This is the more excellent way, and uh, it comes with love. I don't want to sound too much like Bishop Curry, but uh, um, he's got a point on a profound level. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it's so interesting. This passage is, other than New Testament passages from the Gospels, this is probably the most famous passage in the New Testament because it's, I think by U.S. law, it has to be read at every single wedding ceremony, (laughs) that and Khalil Gibran. Uh, But um, yeah, it's this, it's all about love. And and I think one of the things that people do with this passage is they, they do, just like Jeremiah, kind of sentimentalize it and make it about, love between humans. And certainly it is about that on some level. He's talking about, Paul is talking about people who um, who are really interested in doing Christianity in a way that makes them look amazing, but are not interested in loving other people. So it is about that. But I think in a much bigger way, if you ever wanted a more perfect description of Jesus's love for us, of God's love for us, it is this. It is primarily about that and not us. Yeah. I um, Several seasons ago, there was an amazing episode of The Amazing Race. And um, there was, of course, the, the devout, pious Christian couple and um, who did their quiet times before. They only made it about three, uh, three episodes in. But uh, there was one uh, particular episode, and she was doing her devotion, and she was reading from this passage, and she said, you know, whenever I uh, come to the great love passage, I like to replace my name uh, in there with the the word love. Julia is patient. Julia is kind. Julia is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. And it was almost like the producers set this up because the entire rest of the episode was her (laughs) screaming at her husband and, like, (laughs) telling him to hurry up and get on with it. And... um, and when you come to this passage, it's really important uh, to take yourself out and uh, to put Jesus in the place of love there, because he is the embodiment of perfect love. And so Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envious or boastful or rude. And if you find yourself ever preaching a wedding ser- service and uh, they have demanded this passage, which is nine times out of ten, or maybe 9.5 yeah. times out of ten, really that th- the place to hit on is, is that uh, the only thing thing that will make your marriage survive is this love outside of you, which is going to hold the two of you together because Julia couldn't do it and neither can I. It takes Christ to hold people together and he's the perfect love in this regard. Yeah, anybody that reads this and thinks they're doing a good job at it is probably not uh, self-aware. This passage is also read by Tina Fey as Liz Lemon uh, (laughs) when she's trying to kill time at a wedding at one of her former boyfriends uh, on 30 Rock. So, yeah, this passages in the cultural zeitgeist so people will know it and and i think it does need to be said in its right context it's not about how we love each other it's primarily about how god loves us um and and by the way you know your point about wedding preaching is is well said the if i ever can kind of uh lean on a couple about their choices of scripture passages at least in our prayer book one of the choices is the colossians reading which 
talks more mm-hmm. about forgiving one another yeah. as Christ forgave us. So my money's on that one, preachers. If you need to push somebody in a direction, go with that you know, one. And really, too, if you want to like uh, do a good sermon, um, the very first paragraph is important. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong. If I have prophetic powers, but not love. And uh, really what St. Paul is getting at here is that, is that the fruit does not define the root, as Martin Luther would say. You know, what you do does not define you. Um, uh, the powerful thing is, is that um, it's all about from the root, the other way. And so, you know, um, our hearts must be converted as well, uh, just because you're doing nice things. You know, Melina can always tell the difference between when I'm giving her flowers to get out of the doghouse versus when I just give her flowers, you know, um, yep. when, when, when there's love there. And so that um, uh, our deeds actually do not define us, but they flow from somewhere else. And uh, this yeah. is the converted heart that has been touched by ultimate love. And I think it too, it, it really challenges those Christians who, who focus on outward morality mm-hmm. and judging people based on outward morality, um, but forgetting to look at why are you doing those things? What is the reason behind yeah. it? So many Christians boil morality down to sort of do's and do nots. Uh, but Paul says you could do the most amazing things ever, but if you're not doing it from love, it's morally vacant. It's, it That's doesn't right. count. That's right. And, and which is exactly what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So I think it, it again, yeah, a true quote-unquote good deed is one that comes from love uh, and um, comes naturally. And to get there, that is a gift from God from outside mm. from si- outside ourselves. And I think Paul is saying at the end of this passage that that first perspective of sort of just focusing on do's and do nots and those list of rules is a pretty childish way to approach faith. It's right. very juvenile. Mm. These are like kids bickering over, you know, uh, I don't know who started it and it's his fault and that sort of thing, that concern of externals. Um, And Paul says as an adult, the sort of uh, maybe mature understanding is more humble and more rooted and saying, you know, the main thing is love and and where where are these actions coming from? That's good. Well, and then so finally we come to our gospel reading, uh, Luke chapter 4. And... um, this um, is the Jedi passage. This is where Jesus <laughs> this walks is what we through told the crowd. You to look out for uh, last week. So, yeah, this is so he's and it's important. It, it the the if you're in um, a church like ours that uses the lectionary, it will often insert some words at the beginning of this passage so that you get the context. In the synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus read from the book of the prophet Isaiah and began to say, "Today, the scripture has been fulfilled." In Luke four. That first sentence I just read in the synagogue is not in the reading. They just sort of add that to help you contextualize what's going on. What's just happened is Jesus has said, I've come to preach good news to the poor and free the captives and give sight to the blind, and then says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So that's what they heard last Sunday, and now it picks up, gives it some context. Jesus says this has just happened. He sits down, meaning he's cut off all discussion. Normally in the uh, rabbinical context, in the synagogue, it would have been a time now for, hey, what do you guys think about this? And such and such rabbi says this, and the tradition says this, and they, but Jesus says, no, this is about me, end of story, and drops the mic. Yeah, and then so this uh, opens the door for them to begin to murmur amongst themselves. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? You know, uh, they're amazed at the gracious words that come out of his mouth. But then it's kind of like, I think what Jesus did was throw a grenade out into the crowd. It takes a few seconds. And yeah. then, boom, they realize. And they're like, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, yeah. and um, and he can sense it. And instead of backing off, Jesus uh, does what all good pastors really do is he presses the bruise 
Um, he, he doubles down. Yeah, he doubles down, and he says, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, doctors cure yourself. And I mean, it's just kind of like pouring gas on a fire. Yeah, he's saying, because Jesus, it's important to note, he's already done some miracles, and the, mm-hmm. the, he says to the people, I know you want me to do here what I've done in Capernaum. You want me to do some miracles, and it, that doctor cure yourself, they're saying, He's saying to them, I know you want me to put up or shut up. I've just read this passage. I've said it's about me. And now you want to see some proof of the pudding. Like, okay, Jesus, you hotshot. You're just Joseph's son. We know you. You're no, you're no big thing. So why don't you show us what you got? And they have the, these hard hearts, very much like the people that Jeremiah is talking to. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. Because Jesus' message, what he just quoted from Isaiah, is that people are, are broken and they need a savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are captives, and they need to be freed. Because again, Isaiah was preaching that passage to people who had been exiled, and mm-hmm. people that had been just brought low because of their own sin. And so his hearers are like, wait, are you, you're, you can't be saying that we're like those people. We're, we're children of Abraham. We're, we're, we're good people. We're not like those bad people from our past. We're the good ones. And so Jesus then drops his bomb on them. What is yeah. it? What is he? Where does he go next? Well, Jake? I, th- I think, and and we all have that common problem. You know, uh, nobody's immune to this. You know, what do you mean? We're we're Americans. What do you mean? We're Episcopalians. Like, what do you mean? We are the. There's something in us that wants. To, you know, we're good evangelical Christians. We're good liberal progressive Christians. There is something within us that wants to identify ourselves with something else. You know, and yeah. that uh, wants to identify ourselves with where we believe God is actually working and where yep. we believe that God is actually honored. And the moment you find yourself on that side of the fence, you can guarantee that Jesus is on the other. And <laughs> uh, and this is where Jesus then drives his illustration. He's preaching here to these people, make no doubt about it. And he drives his illustration, and his illustration is the widow of Zarephath. You know, if you remember at this time, the entire entire nation of Israel is starving and it's under God's judgment and uh, there is one woman who gets um, who gets something to eat and uh, that is the widow of Zarephath or uh, Naaman the Syrian everybody you know um, he is the um, he, there's tons of lepers, but he is the one who is cured in the River Jordan. The leader of Israel's enemy is cured. Yeah. And uh, what Jesus is saying is, is that uh, where you think I'm working, uh, what you think makes yourself holy, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. I mean, it, to, to put it in context, this would be like if you're a Christian person, uh, and you know you don't want to be careful about uh, maybe an illustration, but if you think about some area that's undergoing some sort of crisis, and um, there's a there's a prophet of God, and instead of going to the evangelical Christians, goes to the mosque and mm-hmm. brings a miracle there, or or to or the Episcopal to Church. The, you know, goes, <laughs> yeah, depending on your context. Yeah, yeah, it goes to those godless Episcopalians with their progressive uh, views and their Priuses and uh, and brings healing to them as opposed to the good, you know, Holy Roller Baptists or, or the, you know, the, the Pentecostals or whoever we may, however we want to dice up humanity into good and bad camps. What Jesus is saying, you think you're in the good camp, but let me tell you, God has always gone to the people who the good people think are the bad ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Went to the the Gentile widow in Sidon, went to Naaman, the Syrian, uh, and and Jesus is saying, you know, you're you're there's there's two kinds of people: the bad people who know they're bad, and the bad people who think they're good. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a savior, 
your problem is you think you don't need one. Yeah, if you and think so, you're woke enough, you're actually still asleep. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Because you don't, re uh, any person that's truly woke, truly self-aware, I mean, one of the key, I think, indicators of self-awareness is to acknowledge that you have your own blind spots. Yep, yep. And uh, we don't see this here. So what's interesting, Jesus comes as a savior. And I think if you want to preach this, I think the idea is to talk about the fact that um, he's always for people who um, are aware of he's he's come to heal the sick. And so mm -hmm. the message, the the invitation is to acknowledge uh, and to step into the freedom of of truth yeah. and acknowledging your own sickness and your you need you need a doctor, you need help as opposed to this being filled with rage and trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. And the powerful thing here is, is they got up and they tried to throw him off a cliff, uh, but he walks right through them. And uh, that's amazing. And the reason why he walks right through them is because never forget um, in an out of control world where we think we're in control, he's the one who's truly in control. And this was not his appointed moment. And so um, uh, he is moving and Luke's gospel, like all of the gospels, is driving us to Golgotha, where um, this is not his moment to die, but there will come a moment where he will die, and he'll die for all of these people, and he'll die for you and I, um, so that um, where we least expect it, we might too experience real healing and real love. Yeah, and, and there's a great connection at the end of this passage. It says they led him to the brow of the hill mm -hmm. to throw him off a cliff. I mean, and that's a that's, I think, Luke knows that Jesus is going to die on a hill at the end of this book he's writing, and he's the most literary of all the gospel writers, yeah. some would say. So he's definitely, there's a little foreshadowing of Jesus being led up outside of the town to the brow of a hill, but it's not yet his time to die. That come late, comes later. But we see here an example of, of the kind of people that Jesus is willing to die for. Yep. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of uh, this Super Bowl Sunday show, and uh, we... Uh, go Jets. Yeah, go Jets. So anyway, <laughs> and um, I don't think the Texans are much better, so, but uh, yeah, who, who do people uh, in Waco follow? Baylor football. Oh, that's it. So. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Cowboys fans down yeah. here for sure. Uh, the Texans as well, some people, but we're kind of, you know, far, we're closer to Dallas than to, than to Houston, so mm -hmm. we're, I guess we're more, more Cowboy country. America's team. Yeah. But anyways, wh wherever wherever you go, dear listener, whatever you eat this Sunday, um, may your team win. Uh, may your snacks be delicious. And, yeah. and sleep the sleep of uh, somebody happy in sweatpants. <laughs> Great. Uh, praise God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thanks, Jake. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.